Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Is this thing rolling? It's rolling. Rich rolling. <laughs> I see what you did there. Ooh. It's a big week this week. Yeah, I'm pretty excited for this episode to come out. Very excited. We recorded it back in November of 2021. Yeah, what a surreal experience. Yeah. Listening back, I I feel almost like an out-of-body experience. I felt like I'm listening to someone else interview Rich Roll. Like I wasn't, uh, it wasn't actually me because uh, Rich Roll is kind of my hero. So it's hard to like... Uh, to comprehend that that actually happened. Yeah, it's a pretty pretty epic experience that we got to be a part of. And I mean, yeah, someone that it, you listen to all the time, right? And you hear his voice in terms of like on a run or doing the dishes or whatever it might be. And then to sit down and have a conversation was such a surreal experience. And then even listening back, it's just really cool to be like, wow, we... We did that. Yeah. And like, you know, the cool thing about it is they they say, Rich has said like, oh, you know, be careful. Like you don't want to meet your heroes kind of thing. But like, it was just really cool to meet him and see him as just like someone who is so down to earth and normal and kind and open and willing to, you know, participate in the whole Planet Expo, which was awesome. And then also this over and above like podcast experience with us who he had no idea like who we were and just kind of like had that openness to say yes to things and yeah it turned into something really special for all of us i think oh yeah and and the guy he brought his a game like rich you know had a speaking event during the day and then showed up and signed hundreds of books for you know his his many adoring fans and then did this event yeah so i mean late into the late into the night yeah I mean, my my uh, fuel was almost on empty just from doing one event. So the fact that he showed up and this was his third event of the day, yeah, uh, like the the guy's got uh, he's got endurance, not just in uh, in the ultra sense, uh, nice. you know. Yeah, but it's cool too because we had kind of had 
a conversation like that was that was pegged as one of our goals, like something that we would love to do. And it was obviously seemed lofty with a new podcast, right? To be able to interview someone who is really one of the best interviewers in the game and has had so many amazing, incredible conversation with people who are, you know, doing amazing things and uh, showing up in the world in like really cool and inspiring ways. And so for us to be able to be like, oh, one day we want to like sit down and interview him and ask him questions for that to kind of come to fruition. So early on in the journey of this podcast was like a surprise achievement, a surprise goal and really felt like, felt like a gift. Yeah. I remember when we were, we went for a run as we do when we were talking about even starting this idea of starting a podcast together and uh, we were chatting, like, who would we want on this hypothetical podcast? Yeah. And we were like, one day, maybe in five years, maybe in 10 years, yeah. we could get Rich Roll on. And that was like the, the, high, the high benchmark that we set. Like, yeah. That was the lofty goal. Let's get Rich Roll on in 10 years once we've, you know, once we've maybe made it. And um, it's, it's so surreal because we, we shared the story yeah, with that's them. that's the best. And we were like, this, you were like our 10-year goal, man. And he's like, what? Like, you got to set the bar higher. Yeah, he's like, <laughs> like, what's higher than you, Rich? Yeah, you guys got to aim higher. It was so funny. But it's true. It's like, uh, you know, we got to, all of us, like, uh, got to keep, you know, resetting those those goals, setting goals, working on manifesting them. And yeah. uh, and just, you know, having goals as a, a benchmark to, you know, enjoy the journey in a way. Yeah. Well, I love that. I love that response of his, which was just like so off the cuff and just like so candid because in that moment it showed a couple of things. It was like, just like the humility, right? Like he's like, Oh really? I was like, I was your goal to like speak to like aim higher like this. Yeah. And so it's like encouraging there. It came from a place of like authentic humility. And also it's like a, it's like a reminder that when you when you set goals and achieve them, like the next thing to do is like aim beyond that. Like don't let that be the end, right? So they're mm-hmm. all wrapped up in this like one kind of off the cuff remark. Uh, there's just so much in there that was just awesome, and you know I think we'll carry it with us as well as the majority of <laughs> the experience, right, that we had all weekend. So absolutely. For those of you that don't know, uh, Rich Roll is. Uh, best-selling author uh, many times over, uh, Finding Ultra, one of my favorite books that I've ever read. So inspiring. Kind of his personal personal biography, um, his journey from, you know, NCAA star swimmer to uh, lawyer to becoming an endurance athlete and finding his way uh, on the his vegan journey. Uh, amazing book. Yeah. Amazing book. Yeah. Uh, his cookbooks are also amazing. Plant Powered uh, Way. Plant Powered Way. Uh, he has uh, a, a newer book kind of summarizing uh, a lot of um, the wisdom that he's learned uh, through his through his own podca- podcast. Um, Voicing Change. Voicing Change. That one's amazing. I got a signed copy because I'm a super fan. Yes. It's like the it's like the best kind of coffee table book there yeah. is. I think the second version's coming out soon too, nice. which I'll definitely be ordering. Yeah. Um, yeah, just overall hugely inspiring, inspiring guy that, uh, you know, like as Dean was saying is a model in modesty as well as achievement, um, successful, um, ultra marathon 
uh, athlete, endurance athlete in cycling, swimming, running. Um, he's had everyone on his podcast that you can imagine from, uh, you know, celebrity A-list guys like Matthew McConaughey to, uh, you know, endurance uh, runners like, uh, who am I thinking of here? Uh, Harvey. Har- Harvey, oh, Lewis. Harvey Lewis. Just recently. Just recently. Someone that, you know, if you're not big into like the ultra running community or whatever, you might not know that name doesn't mean much. And then you listen to the story and you're like, that's incredible. Yeah. Right. And because it's not necessarily an A-list person, it feels more maybe relatable. Yeah. Like, Man, I'm a school teacher. Maybe I could do that. Yeah. Take naps in my closet and <laughs> run to school, swim to school. Absolutely. Incredible. Just off the top of my head, because I've been a Rich Roll fan for so many years, if you enjoy this podcast and and if Rich Roll is possibly new to you, hopefully he's not. I'm sure he's not for the majority of you. But here's a few of my favorite episodes, and Dean, you can rattle off a few. Let's go. Uh, Hakeem Tafari, Hextel. The Journeyman. That one's amazing. So good. Listen to that one on repeat. Um, You know, any of his ones on kind of plant-based wellness from Neil Bernard, um, those are amazing. Uh, his one with, uh, Dr. Melanie Joy, one of my favorite ones on the why for going vegan. Um, Harvey Lewis, as yes. mentioned, Korean vegan was a recent good one. Uh, I mean, I mean, honestly, you can just like point and click, uh, David, David Chow. Is that right? David yeah. Chow? Yeah. That, that one was Cho. David Cho. David Cho. The, the artist. Yeah. Mind blowing. Yeah. Anyways, they're all good. Maybe we'll we'll do like a what's good, our favorite ritual oh, episodes cool. uh, this week. Yeah. And even the roll-ons, like just with him and, and Adam Skolnick. Like yes. those, at first, I got to be honest, at first I was like, oh, I don't know if I like it as much as like the regular episode. And now like I look forward to those episodes because it is, it's kind of two two guys jamming on topical things in in like ways that embrace nuance and hold that maybe you know there's a there's a new way of thinking about something than just what's being kind of blasted out there in the media so they they take on topics that are out there in the world and i just i've really enjoyed those segments a shout out to skull nick if you're listening to this yeah we're big fans that's right yeah um and yeah shout out to noble son as well uh he intros the podcast with uh you know, a special little tune dedicated to Rich Roll. Uh, Noble Sun has a new track called Runaway that just uh, came out this week. Amazing artist, uh, former juice truck manager, gone on to big things in this world. Right. So make sure to follow him on the TikTok, on the Instagram. He's uh, creating lots of magic. Yeah, check out his tunes. They're, they're pretty gold. And lastly, before we let this episode roll, shout out to uh, Stephen from Planted. Yes. For making this all possible. Uh, Stephen, former former podcast alumni now, That's um, right. founder of uh, uh, of Planted Expo, uh, creating all sorts of magic over there. So, shout out Stephen, thank he's, you. He's the best. All right, anything else, Dean? Or should we just let this uh, let this episode uh, episode roll? Let's do it. All right, let's roll, everyone. Hey. Born. 1966. A man of many talents and the will to push through. He 
He turned his life around. He wasn't doing so hot. He got rid of that weight, and he gained a lot of wisdom. He lives in a tent. Thank you all so much for playing along, and I hope you have a wonderful night. And I'd like to welcome to the stage, Mr. Thanks, uh, Noble Son, Adam, and Felix. Let's give it up for them one more time. All right, all right. Unbelievable. Very unbelievable. I mean, <laughs> I mean, wow. I feel I feel really appreciative Ooh. for the way you warmed up the crowd, your creative artistry, and pretty much how you made it okay for us to talk about anything. Yeah. <laughs> well, one more time for Noble Son. Broken. <laughs> the ice has been broken. <laughs> All right. So good. Rich Roll, everyone. Let's make some noise for Rich Roll. Thank you, everybody, for coming out. Can I say, before we start, thank you, everybody who showed up tonight. My heart is full. This is just an amazing experience. Um, when the Planet Expo guys reached out to me and said, we'd like you to speak at this event, and by the way, we're thinking about doing an evening thing, a little bit more intimate, a live podcast situation. And I was like, okay, cool. And didn't really think much about it. What I did not realize is that we would be in this extraordinary cathedral sharing music and stories and songs about masturbating and crying. <laughs> and I feel like I'm having a psychedelic experience. I was sitting over here and I'm sipping this drink that tastes quite like a gin and tonic, wondering whether there's alcohol in it and having a placebo effect. And then I thought, am I like microdosing? Like, it's all very surreal and just, you know, thank you, my heart is full. And I'm so excited to have this conversation yeah. with these guys tonight, so. Oh, all, one more thing. Steven, I thought we had an agreement that what happens on beach walks stays on beach walks. <laughs> But I will share one tender nothingness, which is that Stephen shared with me that he had been a minister in a past life, and now I understand why. Very talented public speaker. So thank you for that beautiful opening. There. And I guess I guess he's got venue connections too. Yeah. I don't know. Who, right? who, who'd you talk to? Straight yeah. to the source. All right, here we go. Yeah, it's so good. Thank you all for being here. Uh, a, a unusual or different format for us. My name is Dean. This is Zach. Hey, guys. And we put together a little project, very much inspired by uh, the Rich Roll podcast, which was, uh, we've called A Little More Good. 
And maybe some of you have heard about it, maybe some of you haven't, but um, we're, we're so honored to be able to sit here tonight and have a con conversation with you in this uh, kind of interesting and unique format um, that will be like an a little more good podcast. But uh, we're so grateful for each and every one of you to be here. And we want to go, go in uh, some directions that are going to be fun and maybe, you know, do some deep dives. We know you're a fan of those. And uh, it's really fun and a privilege to be able to kind of flip the script and have you in the, in the seat as the interviewee and we get to ask you the questions. So really um, excited. Yeah, I'm excited to do this. I'm feeling like boxed in here. I'm yeah. like, oh, what's we, gonna we happen? Know. These guys we're, are gonna, gonna come at me chance. in both directions. <laughs> yeah. so. Okay, gotta watch your back on both sides. Yeah. You, don't know, you don't know what's coming. Um, so at the beginning of the year, I wrote down some of my goals. You know, 2021, things were changing. I write down, you know, I'm gonna run a marathon this year. And then I wrote down, I'm gonna become friends with Rich Roll this year. So I feel like this is our first date and we're Aim doing higher. In front of all these people, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah. no pressure. I hope I hope by the end of this, you know, I can check that off the box. Yeah. Well you did say this morning that you were thinking of moving to Canada. Right? I mean, people have been so friendly, right? Canadians are, we're, we're yeah, a welcoming bunch. We'd have you. So, so if, it's, if it's on the table, I mean, Zach and I are happy to replace Skolnick and Brogan and be your, like, uh, table okay, talk fellas right. here. No yeah, problem, yeah. you know? There's a lot of Skolnick defenders out there. There are. And they're yeah, passionate. Yeah. So <laughs> the bar is high. Yeah. But on the Canadian We'll see side. how it goes tonight. <laughs> so good. All right. Well, we thought we'd start off with, uh, we got a couple icebreakers before we kind of dive deep into things and, and get rolling. So, uh, Dino, why don't you kick us off? We got, yeah, a, we got yeah. a couple questions that uh, if you guys have listened to our podcast that uh, you might have heard before, but we thought just to, to get things going. To we'd, kick we'd, it off. We'd start off with some fun ones. The gift of the conversation with so many wonderful people is that you get this repertoire of amazing questions and insights, as you well know. And so this one is a question that was asked to us by one of our recent guests, Jan Pavlico, a good friend of mine. Uh, super creative individual and always has a twist. So this is a question with a twist, not a trap or a trick, but a twist. So the first part is a two part. The first part is if you could have dinner with anyone, you've had amazing guests on your, on your podcast, but if you could have dinner with anyone living or dead, who would it be? You know, I've been asked this question before and I never have a good answer. All right. Well, I never have a good answer. Like, who would that be? Like, I'll tell you what, like in full honesty, it just, I feel like it is a trap because, okay, who's it gonna, Gandhi, Abraham Lincoln, you know, like all, it's like, there, there's a, Jesus, there's standard answers, <laughs> Jesus, so like, yeah. how can I not say? You gotta answer uh, Jesus when you're in, yeah. when you're here. Uh, but in truth, who would it be, living or dead? Um, you know, I've kind of gone down this stoicism rabbit hole prompted by my friend and podcast guest, Ryan Holiday. And the more I read about Marcus Aurelius, the more interesting he, he, he is to me, the way that he balanced being this incredible leader with all of the kind of daily tasks and toil that are still, you know, like the, the, the things that he went through are still so kind of relatable and relevant. And the principles that he arrived upon and what it means to live a good and meaningful life, I think that would be a worthy dinner guest. Okay. So I'm gonna settle on him. I love it. So are you ready for the twist? Yeah. Something comes up and 
You're killing me. You just can't make it. <laughs> you can't make it to this dinner. Who do you send in your place? Well, you guys. <laughs> my oh, proxy. yeah. Right? All right. I don't know. Right. Skolnick. Skolnick. Is Skolnick available? <laughs> send him. Might have to be Adam. He's, he's got some problems at the border. You're going to have yeah. to send us, Rich. Yeah. We're your new boys. But in this case, I would probably have to send Ryan. Assuming Ryan has not met him because this human being has descended on Earth for the sole purpose of having this one dinner before going back to the beyond. Yes. And I think Ryan is probably more than deserving of that seat across the table Amazing. from that remarkable human. That's awesome. That's cool. Thanks, Rich. That one, that kind of question came from like the idea of, you know, we, we all have inherent privilege and uh, what happens when we, we give up that privilege. And I know you talked about you know, the ideas of decolonizing wellness. And, uh, you know, we, we talk about this at the juice truck, like what space are we holding that, like, should be somebody else's space, uh, that we shouldn't, you know, be there in the first place. So it's kind of, it's kind of a fun question, but there's, there's some deeper, deeper thought to it. But uh, it's fun where it can go. All right, we got one, we got one more icebreaker for you. Um, and this is another one from, from a past guest, Kate Horseman, and it's... Uh, who are you, Ritual? Answer without your name, your title, the things you've done, or who you are to others. I mean, isn't that the question that we're all trying to answer for ourselves? Absolutely. Um, you know, is that even definable? Can it be reduced to a label or a sentence or a thought or an idea or a theme? Um, I'm a human being having, a, I'm, a, I'm a spiritual being having a human experience. Yeah. You know, I'm on a journey just like everybody here, trying to grow and figure things out and making lots of mistakes and I'm deeply flawed and trying to get up and, and do a little more good and be a little bit better each and every day. I'm a parent, I'm, you know, I'm a husband, I'm a podcast host, I'm, a, I'm all of those things and, and I'm none of those things. I think that's pretty good. That's so good. That's a, that's a podcast right there, right? I mean, all of those things, like the, the spirituality, the, the, in many ways you touched on, like the different pillars that have, that have defined your life, at least publicly, right, from the outside, through the podcast, through the achievements you've done, and then to see that, you know, line up really authentically and genuinely when you distill it down to, like, this is who I am. Like, those things are just so obviously present in that. So it's, it's not a surprise to hear. Look good. Yeah. Spirituality. You, you, I know, I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to jump in. I go, We're going to we, bounce we back and forth here. We have a jump in. You touched on spirituality. So what, you've had so many people, Nadia Boltz-Weber, Rob Bell, Guru, we have Guru's Corner with Guru Singh, uh, Rabbi Mordecai. You've had these amazing conversations. You talk about in your early 40s discovering the inner life and this kind of spiritual life. Like, I'm really curious, what does that look like for you now? Has it changed in the last decade and a bit since you kind of first started to move into those directions? What are the disciplines, practices of ritual? You know, my, my relationship to all things spiritual has been a, you know, a sort of gradual, nonlinear path. I mean, I grew up with my parents occasionally taking me to places like this and feeling strange because as I looked around the room, it seemed like certain people were connecting with um, the teachings and the music and I just could never really tap into it and I felt kind of isolated in that regard and made a decision as a young person that 
all things, you know, kind of non-material were just not for me. And it wasn't until, you know, I had to weather some difficulties in my own life that it was impressed upon me that maybe there was more to that than, than meets the eye. And I really battled with and struggled with the idea that uh, there are things at play that maybe you can't see, feel, or touch with your senses. Um, but I've grown into a great appreciation and regard for all things spiritual. And I've had many teachers along that path, and I've become increasingly convinced that there's nothing but the spiritual, and that everything that we do and we are um, is some manifestation of that energy. And the more I try to live in that and embody that through my work in a very imperfect and inelegant way, um, my life seems to go better, and my experiences are richer, and my relationships are deeper. So um, what does it look like specifically is hard to put a finger on it. It's certainly a non-denominational relationship, and it's deeply personal. Um, and it's a practice that has um, formalities to it, like meditation and trying to, you know, kind of bring myself into a state of presence and mindfulness um, to approach people with humility and patience and um, kindness and empathy. All of those things are practices, but it's more of just a, a state of being than it is something that can be reduced down to here are the things that I do or here's how I think about things. I feel like it's a very unsatisfactory, like unsatisfying answer, but... It's, it's, the, it's the truth of how we live is where it comes out. You can be a person who does all of the practices, but if you're not showing up with empathy, kindness, authenticity in the way you present yourself, then all of those things are kind of for naught anyway. So if it doesn't come out just in the day-to-day -day of how I'm trying to live, and even owning where we don't measure up, and just trying to, to move forward and be better each day. Sure, I mean, what, are the value, what is the value of any of these traditions or practices if you can't carry them forth into your daily interactions? It's, and that's not to say that I don't get short with people and I'm gruff and I'm a pain in the ass and aggravated and, you know, all the stuff that, you know, we do as human beings. So I certainly don't hold myself in any higher regard than anyone else with that. I struggle with it and I just try to, you know, do a little bit better the next time. Yeah, as soon as you start to hold yourself as more spiritual than others, then you've kind of yeah, missed no, the whole point, yeah, right? Yeah. yeah. Are, there, are there ways that you are able to embody some of those practices into your day-to-day, -day, whether it's like the start line for a big race or, you know, if you're going into an interview that might be, you know, stressful with, uh, you know, you've had some big names like Matthew McConaughey or these, you know, uber celebrities. Um, are there ways that you've distilled or embodied some of these spiritual practices into your day-to-day? -day? I mean, every time I find myself in a situation like that, or even just now before we went on, I get nervous, I want to perform well, I'm a diehard people pleaser, I want everyone to like me, I want you guys to be my friends, I want to oh my acquit God. myself in the best possible way, I want to be able to, I want to be the guy who's up here and just drops a crazy wisdom and people go, oh my God, you know, like, that's my ego, right? And I can't be my best self when I'm living in my ego or I've set myself up for disappointment or if I'm in a situation where I'm creating expectations or attached to outcomes, then I can't show up as my best self. So the one thing that I always do, and I just did it before we came up here, is try to just let that go and like breathe, just be present, 
and allow me to be a channel for the highest good. Like, let go of whatever I want this to be and allow whatever is meant to be to flow through me in a way that can be of service to other people, to just simplify it. Look, it's not that important what happens tonight. You know, the world's got big problems. Our lives are short. You're going to go home. You're going to carry on with your lives. Let's just have a good time. Let's have fun. Let's try to love each other. Let's try to meet people where they're at. Let's try to listen a little bit more. And that's really it. Like just distilling down these experiences to truly what's important and understanding that in the grand scheme of things, it's just not that, none of it's that important. And that, that allows me to kind of pop the balloon of my ego and just relax a little bit. Yeah. Isn't that good? There we go, Rich Roll. Thanks for coming, everyone. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think that's such an important lesson of like having lightness. You know, there's so many, you know, you turn on your Twitter, you turn on your Instagram, you turn on the news, there's not a lot of lightness. There's, there's a lot of serious, heavy things and a lot of things that have been polarizing a lot of us. You know, we're, we're left or we're right, we're Republican, we're, we're Democrat, we're liberal, we're anti-vax, we're pro-vax. And, um, you know, we've lost this ability to have conversations with, with people that might have different ideas than us. And I think, I think that that's the answer is, is connecting with, with somebody that has a different perspective and, and going deep into that rather than putting up a wall and, and you know, othering them. Um, and this is something you've touched on a lot of your episodes is, is nuance. And we just kind of something that Dean and I were jamming on. We wanted to ask you on... You know, your thoughts on the loss of nuance and, and the effect that has on yeah. us as a society. I feel like Canada's getting a little bit better than America, though, right now, right? Um, yeah, it's a, big, it's a big problem. I spend a lot of time thinking about this, and, and it is disheartening to um, acknowledge the fact that communication has become pictographic. We're all siloed in our respective information you know, uh, cylinders, and we spend all our time trying to make sure that we say the right thing so that we're signaling appropriately to our respective tribe and becoming a, being a member in good standing of said tribe is, is, it's sort of how we're wired as humans as a survival mechanism, right? So it's no surprise that we're doing this, but it's inflamed by, you know, leadership and media conglomerates that are profiting off of that fear and that division. And, you know, I don't have to tell you, you flip on the TV or certain radio programs and it's all about fear and it's all about division and it's all about fomenting dissent and trying to pit people against each other. And I think unless we take a stand for our innate humanity and really um, you know, embrace the fact that there's so much more that unites us than divides us, we're headed down a very dangerous path. And as a parent of young children, you know, it's, it, it scares me. But I become more and more convinced that the problem is solvable, and that solution rests in another thing that is fundamental to what makes us human, which is conversation. You know, I say all the time on the podcast, conversation matters. Like the only way through these problems or any of the problems that we face as nations, as a global community, you know, whether they're small problems or the existential crises that we're navigating right now, the only way through is conversation. 
And conversation means people getting together with good faith to listen to each other. And when we disagree or somebody says something that you know, gets our back up or provokes some kind of defensive response, instead of reacting and, and, and jumping on your opportunity to tell them they're wrong or to explain your point of view, to instead breathe, take a moment and say, tell me more. Can you meet people where they're at? Can you arrest your own inclination to prove somebody wrong and to establish why you're right and instead share space with another human being, even if, even if, especially when you disagree with them? Because if we can't come together and find some way to embrace what unites us, I don't think that we stand a chance of solving these problems that are increasingly dividing us. I mean, I think once we have those conversations and we don't start with putting that wall up or, or you know, starting an argument because we don't agree, I think we quickly realize that we have a lot more that does unite us. Like, we all want to be loved. We all want shelter. We all want safety. And I think once we can get past that left, right, Republican, liberal, anti-vax, pro-vax, we find, like, there's, there, we have so much in common and we can build from that. And I think that hopefully will bring us together instead of continuing this, this separation. Sure. And, and it doesn't mean that you're weak either. And it also doesn't mean that some people are right and some people are wrong. There are certain th you know, opinions that are wrong or, or <laughs> ways of seeing the world that are wrong. But I think shifting society and culture really demands a level of nuance that we've dispensed with as a culture. And so finding a way back to nuance um, I think is critical, but I'm uplifted by the fact that we have these new media landscapes like podcasting and, and, and uh, it gives us this opportunity to have these kind of conversations that are not going to happen in mainstream media and the fact that the podcast ecosystem has grown so much and has become so popular is testament to the fact that this is something that we crave. It's like going back to the campfire. We've lost that, but it's so fundamental to who we are. And the fact that people in this you know, world in which we're told nobody has an attention span anymore are willing to entertain and listen to you know, a very long conversation on a podcast, that's incredible. That's something that you know, I think most people would say would not be possible and certainly wouldn't be a viable business or business model for anybody to have or pursue. And yet, what we're seeing um, really, you know, belies that, and and that's you know a beautiful thing, I think. Yeah, part of the part of the breakdown, I think, that has got us to this polarized place, is the kind of minimalistic 140 character interactions that are just petty back and forths. And you talked uh, earlier today um, with Asha at the main stage at, at uh, the expo about just the way of listening. And when we listen to someone, we're, we're immediately and instantly ascribing them value. And we're not just waiting to get our point in or to tell them why they're wrong, but rather trying to, to hold and have and create space to say, I disagree with you, but how can I honor you as a person to try and like listen and maybe even learn? I, I may not come to agree or ever see you know, this, this issue from the same point of view, but 
to kind of hold that principle like everyone and everything can be your teacher and to, and to run with that I think is like a really important piece that's missing from our, our larger conversations where it's clickbait and incendiary for the purposes of views and shares and comments, but rather to say we're going to commit to a conversation. Yeah. I think you bring that so well. Um, but I'm curious, are there people that you would see, uh, or voices that you would, you would see as like having on your podcast that might be like not, not aligned with you in terms of like your opinion? Would that something you would seek out to like further that conversation, or is it more like in person, in private? Like, where do you see yeah, that going? Yeah, it's it, you know, it's it's something that I debate in my mind quite a bit, and and people are always telling me, well, you should you have this person on, you should have this person on who's who has a diametrically opposed opinion, and I think there's value in that to an extent, but I also am trying to put out the highest vibe conversations that I can. So, for example, if I have a plant-based doctor on, somebody in the YouTube comments will say, well, you should have the carnivore people on. And it's like, do I? Do I need to have those on? Like, do I need to really explore that? Like, I don't know that that's in service to my values and my convictions. And ultimately, I don't know that it would move the needle one way or the other. So it's hard because yes, conversation matters and we need to build these bridges and yet, I've, I've, you know, I'm in a place where I'm convicted about the plant-based lifestyle and that's something I feel strongly about and that's something that I want to elevate and promote and share and, and create a welcome space for new people to learn about. Does that mean that I have to have the alternative point of view on my podcast? Some would say yes. I choose not to do that. That doesn't mean that, I mean, everybody who's been on my show I you know I have some disagreements with I'm not going to completely align with them but I also have to be mindful about not platforming um, ideas that I think are are dangerous or or not productive so it's a weird balance because yes I want to entertain different points of view but to an extent and so does that make me a hypocrite you know I don't know like yes. that's for you to judge not for me <laughs> but you know I I curate the guests according to you know, what my instinct is telling me is in the best service of the audience. Sometimes I'll have somebody on who you know, maybe I don't quite see eye to eye with, and that's fine, but um, I'm not a debater, and I'm not there to like, try to convince somebody that they're wrong and I'm right either. But you're never gonna argue someone into your belief system, right? You can't, you can't out argue someone and then at the end of it be like, it's never happened. Oh, okay, like I seed all my points, you're right, and now I will become vegan or what, I'd leave my carnivore diet to become this, right? But I think that in the way that you, I, I see you, like nuancing conversation in your podcast, is like you do, maybe not with the actual person, but I think you do bring in those alternative perspectives. And you do it in a respectful way by saying there, you know, there are other people out there who, who might disagree with this or whatever. And you, you bring those in, maybe not with a guest. But yeah, I would encourage you just to, to continue to do that. Because I think we need it. I think you're a leader, uh, of course, in like the plant-based and kind of like wellness community. But to, to continue to model that, I think in this time is really important. So for what it's worth, some encouragement from your Canadian school, Nick. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just claiming yeah. that now, okay? Right. <laughs> well, one, one thing one of our um, 
our past guest and friend over there, Anna Pippa, said, um, if you're a jerk, you're, you're wrong. So I think if you enter a conversation while you're, you know, I think this has happened with a lot of people, like when I went plant-based, originally, you know, I was all righteous with my perspective and thought I was better than or, or knew better and, and would get a bit preachy, but ultimately, like, if you're being a jerk about it, you're, you're wrong in some ways. So I think delivery and um, compassion, uh, bringing those, those qualities into conversation um, can further, further the message. Sure, and listen, every, every person is right from their perspective, right? And the more you delve into an individual's background and their, their unique set of experiences, the more you begin to understand why they see the world the way that they see it. And you may disagree, but I think developing that level of understanding is crucial in order to find consensus. Like, I'm, I'm big on like trying to build consensus rather than tear people down, tell them why they're wrong and why I'm right. And, you know, again, like I don't sit on any pedestal with this. And I think it's important for us as, all of us as ambassadors of this plant-based movement or, you know, vegan movement to, um, to, to be circumspect about that tendency to feel superior. All oh, these people, how oh, they eat meat. And it's like, well, a couple of years ago, you were eating meat, right? Like, would you want that judgment levied upon you? And the truth is, no matter how much we endeavor to reduce harm through our daily behaviors, we're all producing harm in certain ways. Like, you know, the shirts that we're wearing, they were made with dyes that might have run into a river and killed some fish. Like, we're not, none of us are, you know, we got here in, in vehicles and I flew here on an airplane. Like, we're all just doing the best that we can, you know. And I think just to, you know, kind of, again, back to the ego piece, like, put your ego aside and that need to feel part of, you know, a group or to form an identity around a certain kind of lifestyle. Um, can make you feel empowered as part of that group, but I think it also can work at cross purposes with the higher purpose of just being a steward and an ambassador of, of, of a beautiful way of living that um, you would like to invite other people into. Absolutely. I, I think um, one of the things that you do well, and I think that allows these conversations to go further, is you allow yourself to be vulnerable, and I think that gives people permission to speak their own truths. If they see, you know, Rich Roll, this guy that does these super feats, he runs Ironmans and he runs across Hawaii and he's, he's allowing himself to be vulnerable and to be honest and that gives them permission to speak their truths. Um, can you speak to the, the power of vulnerability? Sure. Um, you're asking me to act like I'm Brene Brown right now. I was going to say, <laughs> Brene, yeah. drop some Brene wait, wait, I know. I thought we got Brene Brown yeah. here. Yeah. Um, I mean, vulnerability is awesome. You know, I, I, you know, I grew up very afraid of any vulnerability or demonstrating any, any vulnerability. It just wasn't really how I was raised to be. And I think in that con traditional construct of what it means to be a man, we're, we're not encouraged to express our vulnerability. And should we encounter difficulty, we're instead encouraged to repress it and move on and not be a wimp and all of that kind of thing. And it wasn't until I was completely broken and found myself in 
what was ostensibly a mental institution <laughs> for drugs and alcohol and had to really reconstruct my life from the ground up and made my recovery program the number one priority in my life that led me to um, a community of people who get together every day, sometimes multiple times a day or sometimes weekly, uh, in small groups to share their story, their, their strength and their hope in the most vulnerable way. I was talking about this earlier you know, at the, at the expo. Um, there's something about that that just made my heart explode because I think it's so courageous. And we have this idea around vulnerability that it, that it equates to weakness. And it couldn't be further from the truth. I think it, 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 it requires a tremendous strength to share your truth and all its warts and all its imperfections, to have the confidence to get in front of even one other person and say, this is who I really am is probably the scariest thing any of us can do. And what I've learned and experienced over many years and thousands of hours in the rooms of recovery is that when somebody does that, they're met with love and empathy and an embrace that I just don't see out in the world. And that creates a bond and provides an opening for you know, the things that we need most right now, love, right? And so I'm just, always the first to applaud anyone who can express their truth with that level of vulnerability. I just think it's so awesome and ballsy to do that. And we need more of that right now. So when I, as I was saying earlier today, like when I started my podcast, I wanted to, it's, it's not an exclusive, exclusively recovery-oriented podcast, but I wanted to take that spirit of courageous truth and vulnerability and bring it into this venue and share it through not just my story, but the stories of so many people that I've met along the way who have taught me and made me a better human being. And I think that my experience in doing that is that when I come to events like this and I meet all of you tonight, each and every one of you that I met tonight shared some vulnerable tidbit from their own lives. Because when you lead with vulnerability, you provide that safe place and that permission for other people to do the same. And I think that creates this beautiful fabric that, that brings us all closer together and creates a level of intimacy that most of us don't experience outside of our homes and our immediate family members as we kind of, you know, just live our lives out in the world. It's something that's so meaningful to us. And I think at times feels like far from our grasp but it's something that we all long for, is that ability to be seen for who we are, warts and all, right? And I wonder if there's a space in our world that could be, cre could be created that looks like, you know, an honest and, and vulnerable AA-type meeting that meets the needs of addictions that we have that are maybe not the substances that we typically associate with it, but the things like, the, you know, the the epidemic of loneliness we're facing and how we're more connected than ever and yet so disconnected from, from who we actually are. And there's been lots of conversation in the last weeks and months 
you know, with Facebook becoming meta and this feeling like we're approaching the singularity, thanks Adam for introducing Bitcoin and <laughs> NFTs, but that our virtual lives are becoming as important or more important than our physical lives. And that doesn't sit well with me. Like I feel like it, we're on the crash course for it happening, but I wonder if there's a space where we could begin to see each other in, in the real, in honesty and vulnerability, not necessarily out of an addiction, a substance addiction standpoint, but to use that beautiful and helpful framework to create space for us to learn and grow and I mean, I don't know if you have insights on that or if that's like the <laughs> yeah. podcast can move into that or... Uh, I mean, how long do you have? I could like Let's monologue go. on this forever. Get all night, Rich. We got all night. I mean, I, yeah, what you just said reminded me of, of much of what Russell Brand is doing right now. So he's, you know, he's a huge 12-step guy. You know, he wrote this book, Recovery, and he's taken this... Um, one-man show on tour, and I've had the opportunity to see it a couple times, and essentially what he does is he gets on stage and he shares his kind of sober uh, story, and then he takes the audience through the 12 steps and explains what they are, and then he brings people on stage and he actually does step work with them. Amazing. Just average people who are not addicts or alcoholics, and the idea really, the theme is, these are powerful tools for self-actualization and self-improvement. That, that, you know, have ex extraordinary benefit outside the limited construct of addiction that we could all benefit from. And he, he does it with his, you know, typical aplomb and humor and all of that. And it's, it's really kind of a wonderful, magical thing. And um, why I bring that up is because the more I learn about addiction and the more immersed I am in, in, in recovery, the more increasingly convinced I'm becoming that we need to define addiction more broadly. Like we've all just gone through this pandemic, we're having conversations, as you mentioned, about mental health and, and the like in a way that we haven't culturally previously, and that's a good thing, but it's prompted by this escalation in our collective suffering as a result of, of what we're all experiencing and have experienced. Um, we tend to think of addiction in the construct of substances or certain specific behaviors, sex addiction, gambling, drugs, alcohol, and then we throw in a few other ones, maybe food, but is food really an addiction or shopping or things like that? And then on the one hand, we're very cavalier about it. We're like, I'm addicted to chocolate or I'm addicted, you know, whatever it is that you like to do, you just sort of, you know, pronounce that you're addicted to it, right? Yeah, yeah. You, don't, you're, you, you don't really mean that you're addicted to it. But I think that on some level, we're all addicted to something. And addiction lives on a spectrum. On the far end of the spectrum, you have the person that can't pull the needle out of the arm or the drunk lying in the gutter and all the wreckage that those addictions produce. But on the other hand of the spectrum, you have the person who continues to get into a bad relationship with the same kind of guy, or you have the person who's addicted to a certain identity because they so desperately want to be perceived in a certain way, or the person who is addicted to people-pleasing, or the person who um, is addicted to 
looping thought patterns around a story they've been telling themselves about who they are that keeps them stuck and prevents them from transcending that fabricated narrative to actually become the person they truly are. And I think the 12 steps, and they're certainly, you know, they don't have a monopoly on tools for overcoming these forms of more nebulous addiction, but they're very powerful in turning that gaze inward and getting you to deconstruct these behaviors and these proclivities and the resentments behind them and the traumas that, that likely produce them so that we can gain a clearer picture on who we really are, what's holding us back, and then use tools, many of which are spiritual, to overcome those patterns and transcend into our you know, most divine selves. We were talking about vulnerability a minute ago. What prevents us from being vulnerable? It's the mask that we're all wearing. We carry ourselves into the world and I'm this person and here's how I wanna be perceived and we behave accordingly, right? And the world either meets us there or it doesn't. I think most people are becoming increasingly well attuned to when they're being bullshitted and when somebody is being truly authentic. I mean, when somebody who is, you know, a master, a true master of self-actualization walks into the room, you can feel it. You know that person's real. You know they're exactly who they say they are. There's something special about that energy that we're immediately aware of. Conversely, when somebody walks in and says there's something, but something's not right, like we also know that immediately, right? So how can we remove those masks? How can we overcome the fear of what people might think if we let them know who we really are? And I think, you know, the, the tools that I've learned in recovery, and there's a whole battery of other, you know, kind of spiritual tools that, that range from, you know, going down some crazy rabbit hole to simple breath work and mindfulness can all help us um, get more comfortable with who we are so that we can be courageous enough to pull that mask down and just be human and share our innate humanity with the people that we care about. That's, that's really good. Uh, thank you. I feel like, Ooh. man, the way we wanted this, yeah. We wanted this night to kind of be like distilling the wisdom of ritual. <laughs> You're delivering that, so. I love, I love the idea, even this morning, uh, you said that like growth and our human potential and self-actualization is our birthright. And I don't think that I've ever heard it articulated that way before, because I think sometimes we, we might feel like I'm not worth it or I'm not worthy of it. And it's part of the loop that perhaps we tell ourselves, but to be reminded for each and every one of us here that leaning into and becoming the fullest and best version of ourselves is our birthright. Like we should be pursuing that thing. And that, you know, uh, to use a, I'm from Steveston, which is like our little waterfront town here, Richmond. It's gonna be underwater hopefully, and <laughs> not hopefully soon, but you know, this last climate crisis we've had, it was nervous there as the dikes were getting close, but all that to say uh, a rising tide lifts all boats. And if so, each of us here, even in this room tonight, say let's, let's take the lesson and choose vulnerability and start to lean into 
our birthright of becoming who we were meant to become. The impact that this room could have, I think, is amazing. And so I just thank you for sharing that and, and giving us something practical to, to work off of just out of that big metaverse kind of question. <laughs> the metaverse. We could do it in the real We're in the anti-metaverse right now. Yes. Or are we? <laughs> are we plugged in? One thing you touched on there is, is story. And I think um, that can go either way, positive or negative, and we get attached to our, our story. Um, I've seen it with friends where, you know, a couple things go the wrong way and they get attached to the idea of, you know, my story is that of a loser. Um, or, you know, vice versa, you get a couple wins and you get attached to this idea that, you know, I'm entitled to these things. Can, can you talk about story and how we have the, and maybe you just answered it in the, your, you know, that past part that you're talking on, but how we have the ability to change our story and choose what we write for our own chapters? Yeah, we all, like I said earlier, we, we all have a story about who we are, right? And we tell ourselves that story time and time again throughout the day, every single day. This is who I am. I'm this way because this thing happened to me. I'm a victim because of this. I'm awesome because I did this thing or whatever. Um, and it's weird how our brains select certain events from our past and decide those are the ones that are most important. It's like little buds along a branch. And we isolate out the billions of experiences we've had over the course of our lifetime, but we really only reflect on a small number of those because those are the ones that stick out and we've made this decision that they're important and meaningful. And then we string them together and that string becomes the backbone or the lattice work or the architecture for that story. And the truth is, those things happened. The story that you created around it is your own fabrication. And in between all of those events, you had millions of other experiences. What if you chose to prioritize another thing that happened to you or another encounter that you had and decided that is the inflection point around which you can create a new story. And I think just that awareness in and of itself that the story is, is manufactured based on experiences and you can choose different experiences to create a new story and then reinforce that story is incredibly liberating and empowering. And I think when that was first explained to me, I just felt a freedom, you know, like I can unshackle myself from this narrative and create a new narrative and it only comes through practice and then if that doesn't work you can change that story again it's important to be honest you don't want to like create some you know crazy story that isn't real about you or you have the choice to let go of all stories of who you are and that's truly you know more of the Eckhart Tolle kind of like can you just be here now and the more that you're able to just be present to unclutter the mind and be in pure awareness, I think is really the kind of transcendent experience that we're all kind of searching for and looking for. I love that. Uh, one story that I see a lot of people you know, talk about is, I missed the boat, I'm too late, I'm too old, uh, I should have done that when I was younger. And, 
and you have this one tweet that uh, has been shared, you know, a million times, and I've shared it with people when they say, you know, I'm too old to run a 5K, I'm too old to start a business. Um, you have this tweet, you know, I started my, I, I ran my first race at 42, I wrote my first book at, you know, X age, and, you know, you're one of um, men's fitness or whatever, you know, the fittest, fittest men in the world in your, in your 50s. I uh, hope I'm getting that all right. Could be, could be, could be getting some of it wrong. But can you can you talk about start lines and and how, you know, it's it's not too late. Um, you know, an artist can make it at 72. A runner can start at 40. Um, it doesn't have to be what somebody else's story is for mm -hmm. us to be successful. Yeah, I mean, it's the same thing as the stories we tell ourselves about who we are. We tell stories about what we're capable of. And a lot of times that's based upon some cultural construct that we had nothing to do with. Well, when I'm this age, you're not supposed to behave this way and you're supposed to do this. And I'm not measuring up because I'm behind and I should be there and I feel like less than as a result. Um, but liberating yourself from those cultural con you know, constructs and, and being aware that, that um, that you can always start over, that in every moment you have the capacity to change your life. It really is just about making a decision followed by tiny actions over time. Unfortunately, that's difficult. Um, pain seems to be a good lever for finally making those changes that you're running away from. At least it, that's the way it's been in my case. Um, but. Yeah, the idea that I could change my life and become this athlete in my 40s, I mean, that's ludicrous, right? I, I still, you know, I'm, I'm like, I don't know what gave me the gumption or the gall to even try that, but it wasn't like I was setting out to, to overhaul my life. I was just taking tiny actions every day based upon, you know, what my kind of soul was yearning for and trying to recapture a little bit of joy that I experienced as a young person and to carve out more time to pursue things that aroused my curiosity and that, um, that, that I just love doing. And it was really as simple as that. So yeah, when you look in the rearview mirror, it's like, wow, you did all these things, but it didn't feel like that at the time. And it wasn't some loud proclamation of like, okay, today I'm changing my life. I just was making tiny little decisions every day that altered my behavior ever so slightly, imperceptibly to everybody around me that when strung together over time kind of shifted you know, my, my trajectory. And it isn't too late. Like no matter what it is that you have inside of you that is feeling some yearning to, to be expressed, you know, my call to action to everybody is to pay attention to that. Like life is short. Life is short, like what are you waiting for? That perfect time when the stars will align and your life is, you know, suitable for you to indulge in that? Like, good luck with that, that's never gonna come. You have to take action on that now. And when I made that decision for myself is when that whole thing started to shift. And yeah, it happened later in life. Um, and, you know, now I've been doing the podcast for nine years and I'm 55 years old. I didn't start it until I was 45 or 46 or whatever it was, um, I'm like an old dude, you know? I don't feel old, but like, um, but 
uh, I just remember when I was, you know, a, a lawyer in a, in a law firm, just thinking this is going to be my life forever, and trying to find a way to make peace with that. And it wasn't until it was so painful that I made a decision to try something different. Um, but when I reflect back on that, that decision was always available to me. We all have the facility to make those slight adjustments on a daily basis, and we don't need to be in pain. It's just easier when we're in pain. I was just going to say, I like the idea of small victories giving capacity for bigger achievements, like sometimes getting out of bed, you know, we can celebrate that. Sometimes, you know, lacing up our shoes, uh, we can celebrate that, and that those, those small things lead to running that first 5K or you know, taking that, that leap that we didn't think was possible. One thing Dean always says, you know, the impossible, it, it's impossible until it isn't kind of thing. Um, can, can you talk about how small victories, those, those little steps give possibility to bigger things? It's all about the little things. The little things are the big things. You know what I mean? I think we get caught up in grandiose goals and then become disheartened when we, you know, begin to fall short of how we're going to accomplish them. Um, so I'm a huge advocate in breaking things down into tiny bite-sized chunks. What is the doable thing that you can do today? Yes, it's great to set a big goal, put it on the calendar out in the future, but what's most important is what are you doing today? And configuring your life to make that productive choice convenient, accessible, doable, and not overly burdensome. It should get you a little out of your comfort zone, but not too much, such that, like I said earlier, the people around you might even not know that you're doing anything differently than the way that you always do things. It's only over an extended period of time that your life starts to manifest those changes that you're trying to build into your life. And I think those changes need to be in alignment with your core values because it's a lot easier to maintain a new habit if it's consistent with this um, aspirational version of yourself that is more deeply aligned with your core value set. This is something that um, James Clear talks about in his book, Atomic Habits. He was a guest on the podcast. I mean, his book has been on the New York Times bestseller list like forever, and there's a good reason for that because this is his very thesis that it's, it's called atomic habits. Like, what is the tiniest habit that you can change? And using those as these molecular building blocks for establishing you know, a better life for yourself is really the fundamental way to do it, and it is rooted in this idea of aligning your actions with your values so that there's a consistency to all of that. And this is applicable to every facet of your life. It's certainly applicable in ultra distance, you know, triathlons and the like, like where you've, you've set out to, you know, go a distance that you didn't think was possible. And the only way to, um, to accomplish it is one step in front of the other. And sometimes that's all that you can handle in that moment. It also roots back into principles of recovery. I mean, they say when you, when you go to these secret rooms, like one day at a time, it's like this stupid trope, right? You don't worry about like, oh my God, how am I gonna go to that 
bachelor party in May and not drink, like that seems impossible. Well, don't worry about it. You're future tripping. What are you doing today? Can your head hit the pillow tonight without drinking or using? Focus on that. That's a win. We'll worry about tomorrow, tomorrow. So you set the big goal, but really it's about what is the next right action, best action that is consistent with this trajectory that you're trying to you know, track for yourself. It's uh, so good. It's like the, the old saying, how we do anything is how we do everything, right? It's the little, the little moments, the little things that, that make us who we are over time. Um, we're in this beautiful church. There's a Franciscan theologian, Father Richard Rohr, and he, uh, he has this line. We've talked a lot about transcending, but he has this line where he says we need to transcend and include all of our past and all of the things that have made us here. So you've talked a lot about, you know, going back and being able to reframe our story and move forward and, and kind of write this new story or pursue this new path, a new journey. Um, just wondering about your thoughts on like, how important is it to include, like to transcend, but to include all of that stuff with you? And then also maybe it's like a second part or, or you can just jam on this is like, the importance of that self-reflection, like really intentional self-reflection to help move us forward. Not living in the painful past maybe and projecting into what I often refer to as the anxious future, but being present, but from the present looking back and saying, okay, because of these things, this is how I want to transcend and like move forward. Yeah. How awesome is Richard Rohr? He's great. He's incredible. Um, yeah, I think it's about owning your past without it owning you, right? You can be in relation to who you are and everything that you've experienced and all the traumas and the terrible things and the great things and the celebrations, but is it owning you? Is it holding you back? Are you a prisoner to those experiences or have you owned them worked through them so that you can acknowledge them, so that you understand them because you've deconstructed them and they've been your teachers to empower you forward on a path that prevents you from falling prey to behavior patterns that are triggered by those past experiences while recognizing that they exist and they may inform who you are, um, but allowing them to be more of a platform for that growth, I think. And that, that's, you know, I keep harping on recovery, but like, this is a thing, like, can you get up in front of a group of people and tell jokes about the most embarrassing, horrible thing that you ever did? Like, that's somebody who, who is recognizing their past, but also not being, um, you know, not being a, being a prisoner to it. Like, they, they, they understand it, but there's a liberation from that that I think provides a freedom to grow upon, you know, to grow forward from those experiences. One thing your, your podcast does is it, uh, it's, it's kind of a rebellion in the sense that it manufactures hope. I think a lot of a lot of the media that we've, we've spoken about is they manufacture fear, uncertainty, and, um, you know, that's the biggest power in dividing us. But when I tune in, um, you know, whatever your topic is, it manufactures hope in, 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 that, uh, in that subject. And 
we're going through this phase right now of, um, you know, we have been for a long time of, of climate change. And there's a lot of climate anxiety and climate fear. And I think it, it paralyzes a lot of people to do anything at all. Um, are you able to touch on, on one, you know, having, choosing hope over, over fear and, and love over fear and, you know, maybe some, you've had, you know, some smart people on your, on your pod uh, that have talked about the climate. Uh, maybe share some, some solutions that you see as a, like, as a way forward with, uh, you know, the state of the planet. Yeah. Um, yeah, and you guys are, I mean, climate change is, is experiential, and it's experiential here right now, right, with the flooding and all of that. And I think it does produce a level of despair, and that despair leads to paralysis. But like I was sharing earlier at the expo, you know, I think paralysis and, and cynicism, are, they're understandable, but they're also a convenient and lazy way out of the problem. Um, these problems are huge, and they're intimidating, and they're overwhelming, and yet the solutions are workable with a united front and a collective consciousness dedicated to producing the change that we need to see for future generations. And, you know, I, I, I also talked earlier today about, about, you know, the people that I hold up to be hallmarks of hope, and one of those people being Jane Goodall. She just co-wrote a book with my friend Douglas Abrams called The Book of Hope, and it's an exploration of the power of hope and hope as this action verb, hope as an expression of, of optimistic courage that in the face of problems that seem to be overwhelming and to have no end, to hold that vibration and that space for solution in the face of adversity becomes this really powerful tractor beam or like a lighthouse around which um, you can see a congealing of support, right? Without the people that hold that level, that deep level of hope, that frequency, how can we ever move forward? And so I think it's incumbent upon all of us to inhabit that space of hope. And hope doesn't mean weakness. Hope is very fierce. Hope doesn't suffer fools lightly. Like, hope means that you stand in a place of strength, seeing that future of our aspirations, and you are going to be the person who is going to attract all of those other people around you and then allow them to, you know, march forth into the world and, and combat this problem in various ways. And there's so many on-ramps to get involved right now. Of course, I don't have to tell any, any of you, like, adopting a plant-based lifestyle. That is probably the biggest thing that any of us can do on a daily basis that can have the biggest impact. Beyond that, there are so many ways to get involved. And I think it's really about what speaks to you, like what gets you excited. Is it reducing waste? Is it, you know, is it regenerative farming? Like it doesn't, it almost doesn't matter because I think each of us can find our own respective path here. But I think it's our responsibility to roll up our sleeves and get involved, especially when we see our leaders letting us down and we see, you know, the action that we demand and require uh, not being demonstrated by the people with whom we vested this responsibility. So that just means it's on us. And you know what? That's okay. Because together we're stronger than any council or any conference or any, you know, star chamber of leaders, we are the people 
It rests with us. Nobody's coming to save us. We have to do it ourselves. And you know what? That's awesome. That's awesome. Because I believe that we can. Like, I do have that hope. And even in spite of all the headlines and all the doom and gloom and all of that, you know, when I go out into the world, I see so many people who are excited about this, especially the youngest generation who have a zero tolerance policy for any of the nonsense that their elders have, you know, produced. And, you know, it's in those people that I see the brightest light and it really inspires me for the future. I love that. It made me think of, uh, yeah, here we go. Ritual, ritual. <laughs> Distilling. Uh, one, one thing, one term that I learned recently that I, I really liked that pivoted some of that for me was uh, this idea of pleasure activism. Because I think we do attach this like heaviness, this like seriousness to being activists, whether it's for the climate, for the animals. Um, but if it brings us joy, if it brings us pleasure, um, you know, we're going to be much more engaged with it. So like you talked about being plant-based, you know, like you can find so much pleasure in that, that food that you eat every day. And in doing so, you're also voting for the values, voting for the climate, voting for the animals. Um, just to do like a little tap-in for all of the, the vegans in the crowd, can you uh, kind of touch on how, how veganism and, and plant-based living you know, shifted a relationship with food and brought pleasure to your life and to, to you know, your, your exercise and, and was kind of like a gateway for, for change for you. Yeah, I think there's this idea that, that uh, if you're plant-based or vegan that, that you, you've, you've signed up for a life of martyrdom, you know, and it's just going to be a miserable slog to the grave, you know, but God bless you, right? <laughs> I suppose I thought that as well. I sort of begrudgingly, you know, when I first was exploring this, kind of begrudgingly decided that I would give it a whirl. And my experience has been quite the opposite. You know, it has unlocked every door imaginable. It not only restored my health and revitalized me and, and, and gave me the, the energy and the enthusiasm to tackle big goals and to explore the boundaries of, of you know, my physical prowess and all of that, um, it's really opened up my consciousness to things that I didn't care about or wasn't concerned about or never really thought about prior to this. Like my initial, you know, step into a vegan lifestyle was, was selfish. Like I was fat, I didn't like how I looked, I didn't like how I was felt, I just wanted to feel better. I didn't want to be fat. I wanted to feel good in my body. That was it. And over the course of the past 15 years, what I care about now is the impact that we're having on the planet through our food choices and through the other consumer choices that we make every day. I'm concerned about the, um, the suffering that our food choices produce, the billions and billions of animals that are slaughtered unnecessarily. Once you liberate yourself from the idea that you need those things in order to live and thrive and you experience something different, it becomes impossible to reconcile that this is how we've established our food system. It's intolerable to me. And yet most people aren't living this way, right? So I have to have compassion for them and I have to try to produce change in the best way that I can through creating this welcome mat. 
but it's opened me up emotionally, spiritually, mentally. It's broadened my horizons. It's made me care about things I didn't know that I would ever care about. It's made me a better human, a better steward, a better parent, everything. There's nothing that has not been positively impacted by this embrace of the plant-based lifestyle. And you know that's why I love evangelizing it so much. And I think what's so beautiful about it is that it's almost like nature rigged it for us because it's better for our health, certainly better for the animals, it's better for planetary health. Who would have figured? All the boxes are checked, right? So I think, you know, everybody here who's experienced their version of this, I think understands that feeling, that, that sense of responsibility to, you know, spread it. But I think we have to be very um, mindful about how we share that message, to not come from a place of ego and judgment or an air of superiority, but to remember that we were once those people who saw the world differently. Now our eyes have been opened up to this new and beautiful lifestyle. How can we be the best steward of it? How can we conduct ourselves with grace and respect? And, 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 and also um, conviction, right? About these beliefs and these values that we, care, that we care so much about. And I spent a lot of time thinking about that. And, you know, as much as we need the firebrands and the protesters, and we, I was talking about this earlier today, there are people that are well suited for that. I'm, I'm not, like I'm, I am a people pleaser, like I want people to like me, but I think that, you know, I found an effective way to advocate for the things that I care about by creating this welcome mat, by, by meeting people with, with empathy through a place of understanding and love and, and trying to be inviting in sharing what's beautiful about this lifestyle to make it appealing, to take an idea that's foreign to somebody be the embodiment of it, be this lighthouse, and live my life in a manner in which it's attracting people towards it, rather than me trying to recruit and pull people towards me. There's a huge difference in that energy, and the more I can be in that attracting space, um, I found that to be you know, a very effective way to share about the things that, that I feel strongly about. I find that so empowering, knowing that um, you know we can attach value to the food we're eating, and we can we can attach the values that we believe in, whether that's you know choosing not to participate in cruelty or um, you know abuse or factory farming or deforestation or any of these things. We can we can take a vote with with every meal that we have that kind of projects those values. Um, one of the ideas. Dean, we've gotten really far without talking about running. And, you know, we always get to running on all of our podcasts, even if people aren't runners. We just, you know, runners want to talk about running, vegans want to talk about veganism. So um, It's secretly just a podcast about running. Yes. We, we <laughs> trap people in, usually with veganism. Mine and, too. Yeah. And, then, yeah. and then we get to running. So we wanted to ask you, it's kind of like a three-part question, and you answered a lot of, um, a lot of the part on veganism and, and sobriety already, but we wanted to know... Um, when we listen to your podcast and read your books, you know, there's, there's a few pillars that we, you know, project onto you and that you kind of are this champion for, and it's, you know, veganism, uh, ultra-endurance sports, uh, and uh, sobriety. So I wanted to ask you, what, um, what lessons have you learned? What, what has been your teachings from veganism, from ultra-endurance sports, and from sobriety? 
What have I learned from those three things? Like how have, they, how, have they been your how have they been your teachers? How have they been my teachers? How have they not been my teachers? I mean, I think, I think all three of them, if they share a, a, a certain strain, it's that they're all humbling, right? They all challenge um, how you see yourself, how you see yourself in the world. They challenge what you're capable of. Um, you know, certainly, you know, veganism challenges a certain conventional wisdom around, you know, how to eat and how to live. Um, sobriety does a similar thing, and it's humbling in, in, in the fact that it's asking you to recognize and embrace um, a certain powerlessness. It requires you to kind of surrender to something greater than yourself. So there's a certain humility that's demanded of you in order to do that. Uh, and running is similar in that regard too. It's very humbling. Like no matter how much you run, it will humble you. Oh, yeah. And it is honest, right? Yeah. Just like sobriety, like it will not lie to you. Oh, yeah. um, and it's a way of meeting yourself where you really are rather than the imagined version of yourself because the, the, the garment doesn't lie and the pavement doesn't lie and your body will tell you exactly where you're at. And I find that to be, you know, such a beautiful, pure relationship. You know, for me, much like sobriety is freedom, running is freedom. Like I, I'm, I'm able to, um, just by connecting with my breath and my feet, um, find uh, a way to tap into a higher consciousness that comes with the active meditation aspect of running and the honesty of it. Um, and it's been, you know, a great love affair that doesn't always love me back, you know, <laughs> just like sobriety. Um, and and uh, I think it's also the teacher that never stops teaching. Like no matter how good at it you are, how much you do it, it always has more to share with you, right? And that's why I'll continue always going back to running. Has as it long as my back cooperates, which <laughs> yeah. is not right now. Yeah. I was gonna ask, has it changed over the last decade of, of you know, pursuing distance sure. and, and you know, finding that pain cave? And has that, has that moved or changed in the last decade? Yeah, I mean, I think my relationship with running and with endurance sports um, originated from a place of, of um, wanting to see what my capabilities were, like what is the outer edge of possibility for me. And as such, it was very performance driven. It's like it was, and I was all about the metrics and tracking my data and all of that and how can I get better and where's that extra edge and if I eat this and you know my life really revolved around that because I was committed to pushing that outer envelope to find the very edge of, of those capabilities and you know that's not my relationship with it now. Um, my life is full of so many beautiful things that occupy my awareness and my attention um, and so I've shifted that relationship to one that's more around joy. Like, can I go out and train just for the joy of it? Like, does it really matter? Like what my Garmin says, how fast I'm going, all of that. Who cares? Like, nobody cares. Why should I care? 
I'm doing it for a different reason. I'm doing it because it does bring me joy. It makes me feel better. And after I've done it, I'm better to the people around me. My wife is always like, I think you need to go out and like, why don't you, why don't we have this conversation after you've gone running? You know, typically we'll go better. Um, so that I can show up and be my best in the other things that I care about. And I think for me, you know, endurance sports is also a vehicle for advocacy. As I was sharing earlier, I think athletes hold a special place in the plant-based movement because their actions speak louder than their words and what they're able to demonstrate physically, I think is really powerful in, 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 in spreading um, the message of, of, of this lifestyle. Um, and similarly through, you know, events that I've chosen to participate in, I look at them as, an, as a facet or an aspect of my advocacy. Because these events require so much training and because my attention is diverted into other things, the, the kind of decision tree that I go through is what's the best use of that time and energy in order to impact the most number of people in the most meaningful way. Is it doing a podcast? Is it writing a book? Is it being in this cathedral with you guys right now? It's all of those things. But there are only so many hours in the day, and does it make sense for me to stop doing these other things so that I can go out and train like a maniac so a year from now I can show up at a race and, and equip myself? Well, probably not, you know? Like, probably, once in a while, yeah. It's cool to go out and do something hard and show um, not only that, you know, as a plant-based person, you can achieve great things, but also as I get older to demonstrate that, that, um, that, you know, age is just a number and that you can still, you know, go out and crush it in your fifties. Like, I think that's important too, but how much time am I willing to invest in that? Because if I'm doing that, then there's no podcast or there's no other, you know, there's no, you know, I'm not here with you guys because I've got to wake up and put in some crazy training sessions. So it's a law of diminishing returns in terms of that, which is why like now I've, you know, I, I let go of a lot of that and like I'm certainly not as fit as I was in a lot of the photos. You'll see if you Google my name, like I don't look like that right now. And I have to make peace with that too. It's like, that's an ego, oh, you know, they're not gonna like me cause I, you know, I don't, I, I'm not as fit as I was like 12 years ago when still like I was training 30 hours a week in this unsustainable way, like, yeah. you know, so, so that's another humbling thing too, right? It's always humbling you. Have you found it all, you know, as you've, you've gone on this journey, like has it gone more from like competition and feats to like more of a mindfulness and a meditation practice? Yeah, 100%. I mean, that's a very concise way of putting what I was trying to explain, so yeah, <laughs> yeah. So we're downtown Vancouver, you know, not far from here is kind of like the nightclub scene and all that. People are probably... We're all going there after this, Yeah, right? that's right, yeah. Like that. Roxy's, Roxy's. The, the post, the after party. But uh, you pull someone, you know, just like a, a random Joe or Jill off the street and pull, pull them in here and say, listen, we've got this person. Um, they've got a lot to offer about how to live like a really meaningful and fulfilled life. And, you know, three of those things that they're a champion of is sobriety, endurance athletics, like long, long runs and rides and swims, and veganism. Yeah, right? Most people would say, that sounds awful. Or they, or they might say like, oh, that's like torture, that's suffering. But we know that 
there is an element of, like you had said, you feel like you have to give up these things. You give up time, you give up other opportunities to do long runs, you, you give up foods that you might have an emotional, relational, historical, familial attachment to, to pursue a plant-based vegan lifestyle. And of course, in terms of sobriety, you give up something that might have been a crutch or a necessity that you thought you needed, an element of control. All of those involve some form of suffering. So, for those of us who like that kind of stuff, like long, painful runs and kale smoothies, are we like some sort of masochists? Or what's, what's the deal? Like, do we, per, do we pursue pain for pleasure? Or is like there something to suffering that is a gateway uh, to the beyond? I was hoping you were gonna answer that for me. <laughs> you were, it started out like, you're gonna be my therapist, <laughs> and then you put the question to me. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's interesting. Um, in recovery, there's a phrase, the road gets narrower. And what that means is the more that you grow, the less tolerant you are of behaviors and activities that you never used to give a, a second thought to, right? And there is a certain... It's, it's less about suffering. Look, there's almost an asceticism to it, right? That goes back to this idea of being a martyr, like, oh, you're a martyr, you just wanna suffer. Um, but I find that there's freedom in that. You know, that's the ironic thing, that you think it's gonna be terrible, and actually, it's liberating in many ways to shed these layers and shed these behaviors. And again, it's all about, like, coming into greater and greater alignment between your values and your actions, right? I think on some level, we're all living in a manner that's inconsistent with the values that we aspire to embody. But the more inconsistent that is, I think um, the more kind of unconsciously we're suffering. Like if you're somebody who's out at the nightclubs and waking up hungover and then going to you know McDonald's at two in the morning, and, it's like, you might think you're just like living it up. I certainly did. That stuff catches up to you because deep down, you know, like this is not making you happy. And maybe you have to do it for another 10 years before you're ready to say, you know what? I've kind of had enough of this. This is not making me happy. And I think on top of that, it's important to recognize that we live in a culture where we're constantly fed and reinforced this idea that happiness is a function of luxury and wealth and convenience and, you know, sort of material accumulation in all its forms. And the truth of the matter is, is that none of those purchase happiness. We know this intellectually, and yet we still blindly pursue it because it's so embedded into us and so deeply reinforced. And it's only when we're able to kind of unshackle ourselves a little bit and realize that the happiness that eludes you or the happiness that we seek is found in community. It's found in our relationships. It's found in our conversations. It's found in, in, in aligning your actions with your values. And it's found in, in, in you know, finding something that's personally meaningful to you, pursuing that, and trying to find a way to pay it forward like tying your life in some way, even if it's a small way, in service to other people. And the people that I know that are the happiest, that are the most fulfilled, that are the most purpose-driven, they may not be vegans or 
complete aesthetics or, or, or uh, you know, ultra endurance athletes, but they found something that gets them excited. They've made that passion part of how they live their life and they've figured out a way to return it in service to other people. And there's something about that, that wherein we can find that, that happiness that feels always just a little bit outside of reach. And so the more that we can figure out our version of what that would look like, I think the closer we inch towards the happiness that's promised on the billboard or the job promotion or the condo or the new car lease or, or whatever it is. When, when you talk about happiness, uh, I don't know why my brain just went here, but I was just like imagining a book on the blue zones of happiness versus, versus age. And uh, you know, you've had a lot of guests on. Uh, are there any consistent themes or practices that you've distilled or can summarize from what you've learned that are, you know, actions that will lead to happiness? Like you talk a lot about, you know, mood, uh, you know, mood follows action. Um, can you talk about some consistent themes that, you know, bring that, that joy into the blue zones of the blue zones, the, the blue, blue zones of my life, the, the blue, blue zones. Yeah. yeah, does everybody know what the blue zones are? So Dan Buettner, friend of the pod, um, went on this quest to discover the cultures that lived the longest and then subsequently the cultures that, that were the happiness, the happiest. And there were certain themes that arose from that as he identified these quote unquote blue zones. And I think core to that is you know, people that live, live in contact with the natural world, who are moving throughout the day, who live in tight-knit communities where they know their neighbors and their families aren't just single-family homes but are extended family situations. The more that they're connected to their, you know, natural and human environments, the happier people seem to be. The more that they're eating foods close to their natural state, not exclusively plant-based, but predominantly plant-based in these cultures um, is a huge part of it. And it's not about going out and doing ultra-endurance races or killing yourself in the gym. It's about light activity where you're kind of persistently moving throughout the day. And then having some form of um, faith, faith in your community in, in whatever form that that looks like seems to be a strain. And I think, you know, this pandemic, like, kind of, isolated all of us and you know I'm an introvert I thought this is the greatest thing I'm I've been waiting my whole life to be able to just be left alone I'm gonna ride this out like a champ and and you know I quickly found out how lonely it could get and if I'm suffering I know most people are probably suffering too and I think as we begin to emerge out of this phase of our life looking back on it and trying to you know um, let it inform us how it drove us away from our happiness is something that I've thought a lot about. And a big part of that, me being an introvert and me being a very busy person, like I wasn't valuing my friendships as much as I should. And, and I was you know, not available for a lot of my friends. And I've really tried hard to rebuild some of those relationships or to carve out the time to be present with those friendships. You know, last week, uh, a, a college swimmer teammate of mine passed away very suddenly. It's the first 
person from that, you know, Stanford swim team that, that I competed and trained with who died, and it happened in a, in a kind of very fast way. Nobody was expecting it. And it's things like that where you realize, like, what am I waiting for? You know, our lives are happening now. So for me, it's about, you know, really doubling down and reinvesting in the friendships that I care the most about and, and showing up for them and, and, and trying to make them as intimate as possible. Um, and again, like letting go of the performance aspect of, of like running and all of these things and trying to make it more of a joyous, persistent motion sort of thing and making sure that I'm outdoors and um, engaging in my spiritual practice and being present for my kids. It's simple stuff, really. It's not rocket science. I like that. Um, I've got maybe one, one, maybe two more questions. I don't know, Dean, if you have... You got a, you got a few on the list. I mean, we got like a book full of questions here because yeah. I've been, you know, waiting for this first date for a while. But um, we thought maybe we could do some some rapid. Is there gonna fun. be a second date? Is there gonna be a second date? I mean, date? beach walks and podcast dates. I'm being. I feel very like I'm being courted. You yeah. are. You are. This we're is a, one big courtship, Rich. We're a loving bunch up here. You yeah. Know? <laughs> um, I thought after that we could do a couple rapid fires and do a couple. Uh, audience questions and then uh, sure. you know you've had a long day we can let you go find your tent yeah. or or whatnot and have got a tent on the roof of the hotel <laughs> good. <laughs> good. i was wondering <laughs> that happened to me once actually i was uh i was it was a couple of years ago i was i was going to new york for some reason and i was checking in at the hotel and the woman behind the desk said oh, we got a tent set up on the roof for you <laughs> like she was listening to the podcast and I was like, really? That's awesome. Like she was, was just kidding. I thought she was, don't, she was. Oh, I was going was that a joke? Or did no, she, like, I wish it wasn't it a joke. She was joking. Okay, well, we'll get a tent set up for you. We, we, do, we do it different here in Canada. Good. Yeah, it's one thing to sleep in a tent in Southern California. It's, <laughs> yeah, right? My yeah. blood is thin. It's like, you. I like the idea from like June until right. early August, then pull it inside. Right. <laughs> All right, so before we go into the rapid fire, you know, we've all been following your journey for a while. Uh, I just want to know, like, what is the evolution of Rich Roll? What's, what's, what's next? Um, how do you continue to grow and evolve and, you know, develop uh, as the person that you are? God, I feel like you should ask my wife that. She should be <laughs> able to give you an earful. Should we call a friend? Should we get her on the FaceTime? Yeah. Um... I mean, professionally, there are things that I'm working on and projects that I'm trying to get moving, but, and I think I might have said this earlier today, like, I'm focused on, on gratitude, and um, I'm just so grateful that I have the opportunity to live the life that, that I'm living and that I get to do this thing that impacts people and that people seem to enjoy and get value from, and if that's all that it's ever gonna be, like, that's pretty damn good. Like, it's a life well lived, and, and, you know, if the lights went out on me tomorrow, I'd be okay with that. Like, I feel like very fulfilled and, and, and privileged to be able to, um, you know, do the podcast and, and, you know, be a steward of those conversations. Um, in terms of, of personally, like, I mean, I have so much. I'm just getting my ass kicked as a parent right now. So if anybody yeah. has any parenting tips. Yeah, yeah. Well, I was going to ask you some parenting teenagers. tips. I got yeah. two young boys, but maybe we could um, talk to some 
some somebody else. Yeah, I mean, I'm, there's always growth. We all have growth ahead of us. Like that growth curve never seems to flatten. And just when you think you've got things figured out, life throws a curveball at you, and there's another opportunity to learn and reflect and and expand in new and different ways. And and there's a lot of contraction along the the, the trajectory towards ultimately expanding. Um, and I'm learning, you know, I think I'm learning to be more patient with myself um, and uh, what else? You know, I have this um, attachment to the work that I do in the podcast that, that at times can be very workaholic, mm -hmm. right? And I've been known to be a bit of a control freak about it. And it's been very difficult for me to let go of certain aspects of it. And now I have people around me that are helping me and I have to trust them. And that means that sometimes it's not gonna go the way that I would do it. But in order to be able to have longevity and sustainability with this work, as I've been doing it for nine years now and I've inched up against burnout a couple times and I want to be able to do it for another 10 years and still be in love with it. In order to do that, it's requiring me to grow in ways that are uncomfortable, which means I'm not going to have my hands on every aspect of it. I'm going to focus on the most important part, which is the conversation, and allow some of the aesthetics and the trappings around that to be handled by people that um, I'm learning to trust. Uh, and that is very uncomfortable. Yeah. I want to do it all, and it's got to be my way. I'm very petulant and adolescent about that. Um, and it's put a mirror up to my face that is showing me how much growth still remains. And so that's kind of one thing that I'm focused on. That's cool. I, I mean, mm -hmm. I can relate to that from you know, having a business for the last, last decade and hanging on to things, and you know, when you let them go, Sometimes that's the moment that they thrive, and you know we have some of our, our team here, and you know they're they're now teaching me lessons, and it's it's kind of flipped. So I think that's exciting to see where that takes you, because I think that opens new doors of opportunity. Um, one one last question, Dean, you might have one. You talked about parenting. Um, I'm a dad of two. Dean's a dad of two. Um, he's got young girls. I've got young boys. Um, one idea that we were talking about recently that you know, kind of struck home for me is this generational idea of moving the rock forward. Uh, you know, like our grandparents moved the rock so far and got our parents to where they were, and they moved that rock so far and got us to where we were. Where do you want to move the rock uh, for, for your kids? Um, where do I want to move the rock for my kids? I mean, first of all, could be a football. My kids don't listen to me. So let's be <laughs> clear about that, right? Like, I can move the rock all I want. They got other plans, yeah. you know? <laughs> that's made abundantly clear. And that's what's great about it. The kids are moving the rock for me. That's the way I look at it. I'm not moving the rock for them. I can do what I do and, and set an example and do the work that I'm doing, but every single day I'm made aware of where I'm falling short and they have become my teachers and that's uncomfortable too 
but it's supposed to be that way, and that's what's cool. So I'm trying to learn from the rock that they're moving that is showing me where my blind spots are and my confirmation bias and where my default settings you know, are, are antiquated. And being open to that is a new level of humility. That's humbling, hey? a cool, Yeah, a cool kind of a cool and sometimes annoying adventure. Yeah, you try <laughs> to raise these strong, independent, you know, thoughtful people, and then they become independent and thoughtful people, and you're like, what the hell? Right, and they're looking at me like, what? Yeah, yeah. You said what? Oh, man. You, you, <laughs> you set some intentions uh, for 2021, some touchstones, and you've actually touched on a lot of them tonight, so it's cool to see how your, your values are aligning with your actions, which is not really a surprise, uh, empowering others, trusting others more. One that you said that I really liked and resonated with me and was something that I've been coming back to throughout the year, recognizing that how is it possible that 2021 is already nearing its denouement, but here we are. Train weakness is one. What's an area of weakness that you've been focused on training? Hmm. Training your weakness. Um, I mean, I think one of them is one that I mentioned, which is about um, being a better friend, like showing up for my friends. Like I get so consumed by the work that I'm doing. And for the most part, my social life is, it's, it's, it's so lame, but like my <laughs> social life is the podcast. Like wow. I go to my studio and I have these amazing conversations and I become, you know, f intimately connected to these human beings. And then I go home and I'm with my family and my kids and like, that's kind of it, <laughs> you know? And, and they're not listening to you. <laughs> well, my, yeah, they don't, they, don't, they don't care what I'm doing all day. I, can, I promise you that. Um, but uh, being a better friend, like I, I have not, you know, like I will tell myself that like I'm too busy because, and, and I want to, it's like, oh my God, I'm going to sit down with this amazing person tomorrow. I have this many hours in between now and when they're arriving and I want to, deliver, like I'm committed to delivering the best possible conversation within my capabilities, but I allow that to monopolize my attention and it's made me myopic to things that are really important in my life, like my relationships with my friends and things like that. So it's, take, it's, it's being able to really have the gumption to set a healthy boundary so that I can invest in those friendships. And, and that's something I've traditionally not been great at. And my friends would be like, dude, you know, I, t I texted you 10 days ago. Like, you, you didn't get back. Or, you know, I left a message for you and I didn't get back. And I'll be like, well, yeah, I was so busy. And it just becomes a broken record. And, and my friends don't want to hear it anymore, nor should they. So it's recognizing that this has been a blind spot for me. And it's impaired a lot of relationships with people that I care about because I've been so invested in, in the work. And, you know, I've just gotten to a place where it's like, I, I can't do that anymore. Like, I need these people in my life. I love these people. And they deserve to be treated with love and the love and the respect and all the things that I talk about on the podcast and I'm not practicing in my daily life. You know what I mean? Showing up for the people who matter most when it matters most. Yeah, that's good. There you go. Continue to live into that one. I think your friends will love it. Yeah. Well, we want to be uh, mindful of your time, that it is getting late, that the after party awaits. <laughs> um, so we always like to close off with like a few quick 
kind of like rapid, rapid fire question. So yeah. Zach is the king of rapid fire. If you've listened this to our podcast. This is the part I'm the most scared of. Yes. <laughs> like, what is this going to be about? We're, we got some, it's going to be these questions I guarantee you I don't have answers for. We've got some curveballs here. So we got some user, user generated ones. Uh, hopefully they're not bots, but we put it out to the Insta world and some people replied. Um, so here we go. Um, there's been a Gary V NFT. There's been an Impact Theory NFT. Will there be a Ritual NFT? Yeah, this is something I'm trying to learn about right now and admit to being fairly uh, uninformed and ignorant. I mean, I, I certainly am aware of NFTs. I understand what they are. But I'm trying to really get educated about what all of this means. I really do think that we're on the precipice of a huge seismic shift with the advent of Web3 and these amazing tools many of which are rooted in blockchain, are kind of coming into fruition. It's very early days. And it's something that's very counterintuitive and hard to get your head around, but I think it's certainly gonna be revolutionary in ways that we can't imagine right now. And so I'm kind of on um, this exploratory mission of trying to understand this. Um, obviously, the idea of having some kind of, you know, NFT related to the work that I do is, is a cool idea. I do have concerns about the um, carbon footprint of creating NFTs. Um, it's not de minimis by any stretch of the imagination, the amount of computing power that's required to mint these NFTs and then to transfer them along the blockchain is a huge problem. And I know, you know, the kind of um, currency associated with it is Ethereum and Ethereum is hard at work at creating a situation um, that is more carbon neutral than it is today, but we're not there yet. So I'm a little cautious. It would feel duplicitous of me to be all about NFTs when they are having this downstream environmental, you know, detrimental impact. But I'm just at the beginning of, of looking at it. And I do think it would be cool to have you know, some kind of NFT thing around the podcast. So maybe more will be revealed. I think that's cool. That. I'd, I'd be, uh, yeah. I'd buy one. <laughs> yeah. Are you guys doing NFTs? Same as you were exploring it. Mm -hmm. uh, I think it's super interesting and I'm really curious about where, where it goes. I think I'm in like a exploratory education phase where I'm learning a lot. Mm -hmm. Like on the environmental side, like I was listening to, um, Hope I got his name right, Naval Ravikant. He right. was like talking about like when the computers started, they'd be like the size of this room, and mm -hmm. now they're like the size of a cell phone. Um, in terms of the environmental impact, like the whole idea of crypto or NFT is to like solve problems. So it's like they're gonna turn that energy issue and flip it pretty quick. Like right. that's that's the lens that he's looking at. But I think currently, yeah, it's you know it's a big energy drain. But this idea of evolving you know, community in a new way that has, um, you know, an engagement of champions. I think that is kind of exciting. Yeah. It's super fascinating and it's much more than, you know, JPEGs. Yes. You know, and I think for anyone who doesn't understand what we're talking about, <laughs> uh, Tim Ferriss did a podcast with Naval Ravikant uh, and then another gentleman uh, who I think is a venture partner at, at, at A16Z. And it's really a primer that explains the impact of kind of where the internet is headed right now yeah. in a way that um, is quite eye-opening and helps you wrap your head around, you know, 
really the bigger play that's that's occurring right now. That that podcast really opened my eyes mm -hmm. to the the whole idea of yeah. it and how because I was like these silly JPEGs like who cares and right. I'm like whoa it's a smart contract it's so much more than that um, you know I'm, I think next next time when we when we have round two together we'll uh, we'll talk right. about the ritual well, NFT. We're both gonna change our podcast and they're gonna be crypto NFT. Yeah 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 yeah. yeah. It'll like, be, we'll, we'll meet you in the metaverse yeah, and we'll yeah. we'll do a pod there. <laughs> Um, let's see, what do we got here? Um, one of, the, I mean, we just mentioned uh, Tim Ferriss' podcast with uh, that Neville Ravikant, but one of the questions we got sent in, um, you know, you're in the podcast world, which podcast do you listen to? Do you have time to engage with others? Or are you just mostly kind of tuning into the guests that you're about to have on? Yeah, my, my, um, I listen to a lot of podcasts. I mean, I started my podcast because I was a huge fan of yeah. podcasts way before anybody was listening <laughs> to podcasts. Like back when I first started training for these crazy races, I needed something to keep me company. I discovered podcasts at a time when you really had to work really hard if you wanted to listen to a podcast. You had to download it on a desktop computer and then you had to bounce it to an iPod, right? That could only store like you know, so much data in it. And then it was like a whole thing. Like you'd be incredibly intentional about it back in 2007, around that time. But I felt like this whole world opened up to me and it was so enriching and I just loved everything about it. And I couldn't understand why no one else was listening to podcasts. So I come to it first as a fan and as an evangelist of the medium, only later as a practitioner of it. And my kind of habits around listening to podcasts is always changing. I like to check out a lot of new stuff. I don't listen to a lot of shows that are similar to mine because then it feels like homework. Yeah. But I do do a lot of homework. So if I have a guest coming on, I'll download all the podcasts that they've been on and I'll try to listen to at least a couple of those while I'm cruising around town or whatever is part of my preparation. But a lot of the shows that I listen to are, have nothing to do with anything that I talk about, so, like movies and like, you know, yeah. technology and, yeah. you know, interests that, that lie, you know, kind of just outside of many of the subject matters that, that I discuss. Because I just need, a, I need to, like, do something else in order to come back to what I do and be fresh. And also, I don't want to be overly influenced by how somebody else does their version of what I do because I don't want to mimic their style or, or you know, kind of unconsciously um, adopt any of those habits because I want it to be kind of my own thing. There's kind of, a, seeing that kind of trajectory too, there's kind of like a second wave of like ritual podcasts of people that were on your show and were inspired like, you know, there's the Darren Aline show, uh, there's, um, I'm blanking on the name, but that, uh, that coach that kind of, uh, Michael Gervais. Gervais. Michael oh, Gervais. Michael Gervais. And, yeah, yeah. You know, there's all these kind uh -huh. of like people that have come on your show, and it's this ripple effect, this wave of, of other people that are creating, you know, positive impact. So it's kind of cool to see. It's awesome. You know, I, I think there's this idea like, oh, it's too late. Like, mm -hmm. you know, back to the thing of like, it's never too late. Like, it's not too late. I still think podcasting is really in its infancy. You know, we're just at the beginning. There's so many people out there that have never listened to a podcast. And there's so many compelling voices that deserve to be heard. So I think there's plenty of room. I mean, we're seeing 
the consolidation with a lot of these networks and a lot of corporate players that are coming in and that's sort of crowding out discoverability around independent mm -hmm. voices. But I'm always encouraging people who are interested in starting a podcast to start it. And I think there, there is this idea that I'm trying to disabuse people of that it's too late or, you know, it depends on what your motivation is. Like if you're going into it because you want to make money, well, that's a displaced motivation. You probably shouldn't do that. Like even when I started at a very different time where there was so little competition, it took me years to build an audience before I could monetize it. So it might not be the, the, the wisest like career choice if you're going all in. I think you need to do it because you love it and because you have something to say. And as I said earlier, like the world needs everybody's voices. Mm -hmm. So please, if you're thinking about starting a podcast, start a podcast. Why not? There's no barrier to entry. I think storytelling changes the world, so it starts, starts on podcasts in, in a lot of ways. Okay, here's a fun one. You're going for a run on the seawall in Vancouver, and you see a shiny little object, and it's, it's a genie's lamp, and you get one wish. What do you make God, of it? God, I hate these kind of questions. <laughs> it could totally happen. You can, you right, can wish that on. I didn't ask the question if you want. A genie lamp. Um, okay, what else? But it's, it's, I mean, you ran in Vancouver because you're becoming a Canadian. You find uh -huh. the genie's lamp. And it grants you one wish, not three. What's, what's the one wish that you're making? There's a lot of assumptions baked into I that know. question. I mean, <laughs> it grants is, me one wish. This, this might be a bot from some competitive podcast of yours. Though, it grants in. me one wish. Yeah. <laughs> well, shouldn't my, shouldn't my wish be to have more wishes? I mean, yes. Yeah. This is the yes. thing with the genie in the lamp. Yeah. I never understand why <laughs> your wish shouldn't be for many more wishes, and then you can just keep doing it. You, you just it. hack but the genie. Every time you, you make that wish, doesn't it go badly? I don't know. I think there's movies about that, like Marvel yeah. movies and yeah. stuff like that. The new Spider-Man trailer. Right. The, yeah. the ripple effect of, of, of a well-intentioned wish yeah. and all the havoc that that creates. The careful what you wish for adage. So you're, you're going to run by the genie bottle. That's what I'm hearing. Yeah. <laughs> How am I going to... I'm trying to dodge this question, if you yeah, can tell, you're right? Doing a good job. I'm doing pretty good. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. dodging. That's dodging. <laughs> there's no good answer to this. There is no good You just got to show up and be like, I wish that yeah. this goes really well. Oh, yeah. there, go there it goes. It went well. Right. You can wish that Dean has to answer or something. Yeah. Maybe my wish would be for the genie to um, provide a wish. Let the person who's choosing the wish be, be like some enlightened person who could okay. make the best choice for all of us. So you're gonna the most selfless choice. Pass it down to the Dalai Lama or something yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let him, let him decide. All right. We'll, we'll, we'll send him a DM and see if we can. <laughs> I'm still trying to dodge this question. Doing yeah. good. All right. We should land it. We should land okay. it. So, um, this is it, Dean. Yeah. Well, you've got to ask the book one and then you can land it. What's that? You've got to ask the book one and then you can. Yeah, one can book. If you could, what is the one book that you've gifted the most or if you were going to be, you know, giving someone here tonight a book, well, which, which one do you think would give wisdom um, yeah, or just like something that has impacted you that you would want to pass on to someone else? I mean, the book that I gift the most is The War of Art. I just love that book written by Stephen, Stephen Pressfield. Did I get a thumbs up out there? Your, your hand went like that. And you got him on your podcast. Okay. How cool is that? Um, yeah, it was a dream come, tr come true when I got to have Stephen Pressfield on the podcast, and he wrote the foreword to the next volume of Voicing Change, which is coming out next year, which is just like, ugh, I can die for that. Um, because that book and that man has had such a profound impact on me. 
And you don't have to be a writer or think of yourself as a creative person or an artist or anything like that. The tools that he relates in this very easy to read short book have been so instrumental in how I think about expression and the resistance that stands between ourselves and whatever it is that we're trying to bring forth into the world, whether it's through our parenting or through our profession or just in our daily interactions with other people, that cognizance or awareness of what holds us back or the resistance that leads us down these kind of dark hallways and, um, and the like and the path towards overcoming them so that we can be fully expressed in our lives, I just think is transformational and applicable to everybody, no matter where you're at or what you're trying to do. Awesome, add it to your reading lists, if you haven't already. There we go, do you want to uh, do a couple uh, audience questions, but do you want to land it with our final rapid fire question first, Dean? Yeah, so we've named our podcast with uh, great intentionality, A Little More Good, because that's what we want to see and put out and create in the world. We believe in it, and we believe it is uh, a way of creating change. But the question we always ask each one of our guests that we have on is, what does A Little More Good mean to you, Ritual? I mean, it means a lot of things. I mean, I think it, it means... I mean, what I, what I read into that or like what I intuit from that is a sense of possibility, like a little more good. How hard is that? Like if we just all do a little bit, a little bit better, a little, a little bit of good in the world, how transformative would that be? So it's not overly audacious, it seems accessible. And you know, I think that's a beautiful sentiment. And isn't that what we're all here to do? Just leave the world a little bit better than how we found it. And if we can all just do a little bit of good, like that's all I'm trying to do. That's it. It's not that big a deal. It's a podcast. It's a, putting a little bit of good out there, trying to be a little bit better tomorrow than we were yesterday. And I think it's welcoming and it's inviting and there's something community spirited about that. So a little, a little more good means this call to action that we can all connect with and find our own unique way of contributing to the world in just a tiny little way. And it's back to those atomic habits. Just what's the little thing that you can do? And then how can you com compound that? right and build upon that that was awesome thank you so much right. Rich thank roll, you guys roll, everyone. thank you guys all right we went on a first date i think it went pretty well in a church in a church in a yes. church so serious eh? we've got yeah. at least five bibles space right. between us so we're kosher we're good well, well, thank you, Rich. Uh, yeah. You know, you're an inspiration to all of us, and you create a space that uh, allows for hope. So just on a, behalf of everyone here, I just want to thank you for, for saying yes and yeah, coming thank to, you. Uh, to yeah. Vancouver. I'm Definitely. honored to be here and really appreciate it, and that was really fun. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it.
Yo, Rich Roll, Dean. <laughs> it happened. <laughs> it's like hard to believe still. It was so good. It was so much fun. Such a cool experience. Like, you know, there is definitely an element of like just being a huge fan. Um, but then trying to, in the moment, like really put that aside and just see Rich as like a, a great opportunity, like someone who's a great person that we can speak with and ask good questions to and know that you're going to get like really solid um, wisdom and advice and responses just based on who he is and the amount that he's absorbed and taken in from his his career as a podcaster and everything. And so, yeah, it yeah. was what a great night. And also like the audience. The audience was so cool having it there. At first, I was like, "This, how does this go? Because normally it's just us and whoever the guest is. Um, but it added such a cool element. And the people were so responsive. And I, yeah, just it wouldn't have been the same without it. Like, I, I loved that. I loved that element of it. So if you were there, I hope it was as special for you as it was for us. And thank you for being there. Absolutely. Yeah, what a, what a, cool, what a cool night to be a part of. I'm excited to listen to this one a few more times to relive the night myself. Yeah. Um, the only thing that I regret is we didn't finish it with uh, the classic ritual finish. I know. Yeah. Maybe we can close it out this way. Let's do it. Yeah. All right, Dina. Let's hear it. Peace. Blend. A little more good with ritual. Yes. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code Buttery. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.